welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, everyone, buddy. Say welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today we have Marlon, Amy, and Chris, and, and Dennis, and Scott, and Craig. Good to have everyone. Uh, today, we're talking about the owl and the phoenix. Uh, and Buddy and I got completely different visions of what this was. I thought it was close to the same, Marla. I, I saw it more as the, the um, Chong Tzu, Chong Tzu was, was like flipping the bird to the prime minister going, I don't want what you have. You're just you're, you're like chewing on a dead rat. I don't want what you have at all. That's, that's kind of really, yeah. That's really putting emphasis on it. <laughs> Flipping a bird, but that is kind of like I don't want what you have. Yes. Anyways, um, let's let's read it and listen to everybody else's interpretations. So, did Amy volunteer today, or did Marla? I don't remember. I think Amy read last week, right? Okay. I oh, think so you want to read this week, Marla? I forced it upon her. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Yeah, Marla volunteered. Okay. <laughs> so, Owl in Phoenix. Tai Tzu, I don't know how to pronounce it, was Prime Minister of Lang. He had what he believed to be inside information that Chuang Tzu coveted his post and was intriguing to supplant him. In fact, when Chuang Tzu came to visit Lang, the Prime, is, <clears throat> the Prime Minister sent out the police to apprehend him. The police searched for him three days and three nights, but meanwhile, Chong presented himself before Hui Tzu of his own accord and said, have you heard about the bird that lives in the south, the phoenix that never grows old? This undying phoenix rises out of the South Sea and flies to the sea of the north, never alighting except on certain sacred trees. He will touch no food, but the most exquisite rare fruit drinks only from the clearest springs. Once an owl chewing a dead rat already half decayed, saw the phoenix fly over, looked up, and screeched with alarm, clutching to clutching the rat to himself in fear and dismay. Why are you so frantic clinging to your ministry and screeching at me in dismay? Thank you, Marla. What was your synopsis again, Marla? I, I saw it as this, the prime minister thinking that Chuang Tzu wants to take his seat. Chuang Tzu has no ambition of that sort. And it basically says to him, I don't want what you have. You're you're basically an owl chewing on a dead rat. I don't know what that all means, but I don't want what you have. Don't be afraid of me. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that at all but now that you say that (laughs) i think i was more focused on the fact that um was so fearful of someone taking his place like i just really focused on the pride and the fear um and then chongsu is just content with being who he is exactly but wow, I never thought about that side of it, Marla. I didn't think of it either. I think it's <laughs> Chuang Tzu. 
I think, I think this is a true story. That's a, I also read about that too. Anyone the, else? So Huitzu is the owl and Chongsa is the mm-hmm. phoenix. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and you remember last week with the turtle, I think these stories uh, could be talked about together. Because remember last week in the turtle story, the prime minister sent someone and asked him if he wanted to be sent his uh, underlings and asked Chauncey if he wanted to be prime minister. Right. Mm. So I wonder if that was a test to see if he really wanted it and they would have killed him instead of giving him the prime ministership. That sounds about right. They would have killed him. Does it? Yeah. Is this the next page, the next poem in that? uh, Yeah. Okay. This is in consecutive Mm -hmm. order. So this, these are the next, this is the next uh, writing. Okay. Then it makes sense. It also speaks to me that uh, that Chuanzu um, in this the phoenix I think represents the Taoist immortal, which is the uh, the person who follows the Tao perfectly. So yes, and um, has no ambitions of a lower sort. Would rather stay out of politics. And would rather stay out of out of state affairs. And would rather focus on the Tao. Thank you, Scott. Yes. yes. I think I wrote that to you. The, uh, the phoenix is the soul. Yeah. Owl is the, the self, the ego. And I was thinking about the phoenix instead of thinking of him as never dying, maybe the attitude that stays awake, you know, how, how the person stays awake during their entire life, maybe staying alive while they're living rather than, you know, uh, than getting lost in their ego and lost in all of that. So I was thinking about how the Phoenix was disciplined. He only uh, lit on certain trees, sacred trees. He was disciplined with his food. Uh, the, the Phoenix was very careful about what he did. Reminded me of some of the practices that we may uh, wander into when we start building a spiritual life. You know, these things that we do that seem unrealistic, like we're talking about meditating. We actually did meditate before, you know, before this. And then we're talking about our meditation practices and going on silent retreats for days, you know, things like that. Uh, those are those are things that are uh, that the normal person would look at and say, "That's crazy. Why would you do something like that?" It it reminds me of uh, of the old timers that you hear in sobriety that that uh, the road to the mountain narrows down, meaning narrows down. You don't step aside. You don't stray away, and that's why you're eating the exquisite fruit and and only landing on the spiritual trees. That's that's pretty good. You're really careful about where you go and what you do, right? About the new, the new uh, places and playmates and things that you learn in recovery, right? Mm. Except for candy, candy is still there, and sometimes I take a dive into the sugar barrel and stay in there for a week. <laughs> I, I, I thought you said 
I've got more and more friends, Dennis, that are doing the zero sugar. Yeah. In recovery. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, so. you got to wean off alcohol. We're using sugar, right, though? Mm-hmm. But it, it has the same effect. So so uh, I did I did 30 days with no sugar, no meat, no coffee and all that. And, and then I celebrated with sugar and I, then I fell slowly into the barrel the same way I would do with alcohol. This time it's just sugar. So I'm straining back and trying to refrain and only do it on Fridays, I say. Mm-hmm. But let's see. Balance, <laughs> balance, balance. Now the... Oh. Wait, I'm sorry. No, I, don't you know we're undisciplined? We can't do that. <laughs> we have what do we let discipline us what is what does it say amy that we're undisciplined we let is it we let alcohol discipline us is that how it says no <laughs> we don't like candy discipline us either no, I <laughs> thank you <Amy>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i get sugar-free candy <laughs> how does a big book say that because i'm gonna look it up that does it all right thank you on 86 or 87 we we the undisciplined, so we let God discipline us. Oh, it's God that does it. Yeah. You know what I used to eat when I first got out of recovery? I the Lucky Charms marshmallows. I'd take the cereal out of it and just eat the marshmallows. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they I guess that they now make just just marshmallow. You don't like need the, the cereal. crunch berries. <laughs> <laughs> I stay off that road when I go to the grocery store. I don't even go down that road because I love. I could eat if I started eating that can, eating that sugar cereal. I'd eat the entire box until it was yeah. gone, and then I would add sugar to it. So I cannot do that. Discipline. I am the undisciplined. Yeah, yeah. Did you find yeah. it, Amy? Yeah, the exact. It's page eighty-eight. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we like God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. So you have to be real careful, though, because I, as an alcoholic, though, I will take that. Well, didn't you say it's my concept of God and <laughs> what I want God? You know, I can twist that around, too. So my God's um, a cookie monster. Exactly. Cookies. <laughs> my authentic self is an alcoholic, so I need to drink. <laughs> That's my, right. been my, favorite, my favorite lie to myself. I am authentically an alcoholic. I need to drink. I'm only doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Your ego anyway, right? <laughs> Lies we tell ourselves. Your 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 real authentic self is this phoenix, though. Mm-hmm. I hope so. And it's starting to come through, Marla. Look at how much of your how much of your practice of life has changed. I mean, it's unbe- I mean, it's unbelievable if you really look at. Marla now and Marla ever how many years ago? Whole different person. Thank you. I mean, can I just, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, I'm just kind of blown away because I, this whole Phoenix, (laughs) I love how my brain went to (sighs) the Phoenix is thinking that he's so much better than everybody else. (laughs) Because <laughs> he doesn't alight. This is like, this is where my head goes. I'm like, well, what it, this freaking prideful phoenix never alights and only on certain trees. And he's so good. He can only touch the rare, eat the rare fruit and only drinks from the clearest of springs. And then, buddy, you said until we get sober, right? 
because I was so good at settling in every aspect of my life because that's all I thought I deserved. Mm. But why? Why can't I eat a filet mignon? Why do I have to eat a freaking tough ass sirloin? You know? Why can't I? I'm one of God's kids. That alone makes me deserving of a freaking filet mignon. I'm my mind is blown right now. <laughs> it reminded me of that monkey that got shot by the prince and the one that was being cocky. He was swinging from tree to tree and somebody shot an arrow and he caught it and he threw it back at him. And then they offloaded all the, the arrows in him because they thought, I'll get you for showing me up. It was a prince that showed him up. I was thinking of, you, you were talking about the the phoenix being the cocky one. I kind of thought it was the owl. I was the owl when I was drunk because I was just holding on to everything that was dead. I was just doing the, the same behaviours every single day, getting nowhere, getting absolutely nothing out of it. And now I'm kind of like, my sobriety is kind of like the phoenix. Every single day it's reborn. It's doing something completely different. It, it only I, I actually only eat better food now than I did. In fact, I probably didn't even eat as much when I was drinking because I was I was relying on the calories and all my beer. So now I've kind of enhanced my diet a little bit. Um so I see the I was seeing the the, the owl as the temptation to go back to drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, why would I want to go back to that? Why would I want to go back to doing all that boring, mundane, everyday stuff when I can live such a, a more fulfilling life. I was uh Notice, too, the owl is chewing on a dead rat that's half decayed. So it was prob- he probably didn't even have to hunt for it. It was probably already dead. Or he's, or he's been chewing on it a long time. It's not a fresh kill. Well, that's the sort of thing that owls, uh, owls usually only eat fresh, fresh kills. I, I know before I recovered that... Uh... I would chew on anything that came my way that, uh, that I was not so discriminating as to what I allowed into myself. And especially with regards to the alcohol, when I, when I first started the alcoholic journey, you know, I was drinking out of, you know, crystal glasses and scotch. And and by the end of it, I was just drinking cheap vodka because I needed the alcohol. I needed the fix and, and it wasn't working. You know, eventually it stopped working for me. Hey guys, we've got a posh alcoholic. I used to drink out of a brown bag. He's drinking out of crystal glasses. I know. <laughs> when he started, though, not at the end, though, Greg. What? Uh, uh, what at the end, he was he was drinking cheap vodka too. You know, uh-huh. uh, and he's full of fear. This owl is full of fear mm-hmm. Because he saw the phoenix fly over and he looked up and he screeched with an alarm, clutching the rat in fear and dismay. Isn't that also kind of a, a sign that, that the inner compass is broken in the owl, thinking that the phoenix wants that decayed yes. rat there's there, yes. that, that it's out after its prayer, but it's really not. No, he had no, he That's, did not want what he had at all. And it's kind of thinking when we're relating it to recovery and, and somebody starts sharing, uh, it takes, a, you know, a good young, someone just fresh in from the streets coming in there sharing a good 10 minutes in a meeting and somebody has to pull them aside and say, hey, I really appreciate what you're saying, but none of us really want what you have. 
<laughs> and I think that's that's how you can really relate it to to sobriety. That thing, right? We do. We, we don't want it. It's kind of. It doesn't look good. Look at that poor rat. It's been dead for for a decade. It looks like right. <laughs> that's what my first sponsor did to me. He says, "Be quiet. These people don't want what you have. You have nothing they need." <laughs> that's exactly what Listen. my sponsor said too. He wouldn't yeah. let me speak for six months. Yeah, <laughs> he said, "I'll tell you when you can speak." <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who is this mofo talking to me this way? And I said, really? I need to stop. So I'm going to listen, you know. <laughs> Shut up and listen. Yeah. He said, you come talk to me when you need. He said, you don't talk about personal stuff in the meeting. He said, you come talk to me. He said, now, sometimes people come to a meeting that don't have a sponsor, don't know that. And they'll use the meeting for a sponsor. And he said, that's fine. You know, just. You know, just be open to them and allow them to do that. But he says, when you have stuff, you come to me with that. And I'll let you know. He even got on to me when I would read the readings fast. He says, you need to slow down when you read. I mean, stuff. I mean, everything. Um, That's why I don't go to meetings with my sponsor. Well, it's kind of difficult, too, with the the water that's between you, Craig. But it will happen one day, I promise you. Uh Uh-oh. Um, what else in here, guys? I see. And what he's doing is he's just relate. I think he's relating this back, like you said, Marla, to the prime minister and saying, listen, prime minister, I don't want what you have. Exactly what you said. I was thinking about how this, uh, the deception of desire. I put something in some of the chat about that, about how the owl and the prime minister are full of desire and how deceptive desire is. And when we start following the Tao, we start being free of desire. Uh, I've got a few Tao quotes here that I just pulled from different, different verses. This is from the first verse. Most of these came from the uh, Stephen Mitchell translation. Free from desire, you realize the mystery called in desire you see only the manifestations. So you're unable to see if you're caught up in who's going to take what I have or, you know, what is it the uh, uh, that I'm going to lose something I have or I'm not going to get something I want, right? Back mm-hmm. to the, the fear again. Yeah. And I think pol- it, it, I read that politicians, as, as, as Lang is, they're always politicians believe everybody is an enemy and everybody's out to get them. And that, you know, in general sense, that's fairly true. They don't trust anybody. This is talking about the master. He helped. This is in the third verse. He helps people lose everything they know, everything they desire, and creates confusion in those who think that they know. It's funny when you're looking at it. Can't you see how even in, in when you are out there still drinking and in early sobriety, how you, you're slowly changing from being the owl into being the phoenix. Yeah. You, you, you're slowly, the, the, um, you, <laughs> your directions just change. And then you're, I don't know, can you call, can you call it a desire that you have another desire, the, uh, uh, a spiritual desire, but then it's not desire, I guess. It's emptiness. What, what, so you won't use the same word as desire. Where well, you say that? It depends on how you want to describe it, Dennis. For me, that's waking up spiritually. That's mm-hmm. an that's an unselfish desire. When I say desire, I mean 
uh, ego driven from fear, you know, a fear based decisions, fear uh, and fear. And this hour is just and, and the minister is just full of fear, you know, and then when we come into recovery, we're full of fear. And with time, we start uh, learning how to surrender that fear and replace it with love. And we start uh, we start seeing how things can be lighter and easier. if We just allow it. You know, and that's what you're talking about. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Verse 12, desires wither the heart. Those who desires, those whose desires are few, get them. Those whose desires are great go astray. When there's no desire, all things are at peace. Or how about this one from 46? There's no greater sin than desire. Oh, we read that today. Oh, did you? Okay. We sure did. We so did. You skipped right on past 17, though, buddy, because I do have 46 on my little. Okay. You know, Why'd you get it 17? What'd you go 17. Uh, if you don't trust the people, you make them untrustworthy. Mm. like a politician yeah well before that it says when the master governs the people are hardly aware that he exists next best is a leader who is loved next one who is feared well it's it's interesting you say that because the the first part of this verse says that there was a rumor Mm -hmm. this this, this whole thing started from a rumor (laughs) that the prime minister had heard that somebody wants his job it wasn't. It wasn't from that person originally. So he's paranoia. Yeah. Mistrust. No greater curse than discontent. No greater misfortune than wanting something for oneself. Y'all just jump in at any time. Well, if if he if he wasn't just wanting for himself, then he would have offered the job because it would it could possibly been to the benefit of the people for somebody else to do it. Whereas he's clutched to that fear of not giving it away. How about this? I'm jumping to the 64th. Therefore, the master takes action by letting things take their course. He remains as calm at the at the end as at the beginning. He has nothing, thus has nothing to lose. What he desires is non-desire. What he learns is to unlearn. He simply reminds people of who they have always been. He cares about nothing but the Tao, thus he can care for all things. This is the 81st. The master has no possessions. The more he does for others, the happier he is. The more he gives to others, the wealthier he is. Doesn't mean he has no things. He just doesn't feel like he possesses the things he has. Doesn't mean he doesn't have stuff. Stuff doesn't have him. Exactly, Marla. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I wrote down the 68th verse too, um, which translation? Uh, a true, well, I'll just read it, it's, it's short, this one is. A true warrior never uses force with an attitude of pride or anger. A true victor does not pursue vengeance. A true leader shows humility. This is the power of modesty. It's the best way to deal with people. It's always been an excellent way to get right with the Tao. Get right with Tao. Mm-hmm. That actually ties in a lot with uh, with my understanding of Phoenix. The uh, the Tai Chi school that I was trained in, the the name of the school is Dragon Phoenix Neja, 
which means Dragon Phoenix internal family. And uh, Dragon represents Yan and Phoenix represents Yin. And when we do two-person work, you alternate between being Phoenix and being Dragon, that you are Dragon and issue power, but then that's then the Phoenix yields to that and thwarts you. So you become drag, uh, become um, Phoenix in order to survive. The other person becomes dragon and then you yield to them. And so it's a dance between dragon and Phoenix. And uh, my instructor always used to say, invest in loss that, uh, that you give up yourself and your, you give up your, um, in, in a, in a self-defense situation, you give up any expectation of how things are going to turn out. And you also don't look at your enemy as enemy. You look at enemy as someone who is misunderstanding and who is potentially a friend. And so the whole idea of uh, Tai Chi Chuan is not to overcome somebody else, but to transform somebody else. And uh, um, so that that's kind of my experience with, with Phoenix, is that Phoenix is not just by himself, but also in relationship to others. Hmm. Thank you, Scott. Lots of, lots of different we just read this on face value. We would leave a lot on the table. Of course, we're there's a lot that we don't even don't even know, you know. But that's good. Yeah, Dennis, I like the way that you uh, related this to the transformation that we have in recovery, because it really is that way. We start transforming, don't we? We start losing our fear. And then we start, we start becoming the phoenix from the owl. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I see it's already happening to me. Yeah. <laughs> we, we call those the promises, right? Yes. Thank you. Let me ask y'all something about the promises. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. Yes, they are. They are extravagant. They are. If you read them down and you say to yourself, are these extravagant promises? They are. The reason why we say we think not is because people are people and they relapse. Alcoholics relapse. That's why we're saying we think now we're sitting all in quiet, but they're pretty freaking extravagant to me. <laughs> I think uh, when Bill, when they were writing that, they said that because they were, they wanted to make sure people knew they were within reach. You know, at that time, extravagant meant may may have meant something a little different. For me, I said extravagant as being as as a comp- big promises, accomplishing a lot. You know, not that they weren't. Uh, I was not able to achieve those promises. You know, wasn't able to see those myself. So, but I read that every time. I'm like, no, they're real extravagant for me. Well, if, if you read them as in, are they extravagant in the form that people are staying sober, then of course they're not. But if you just read them as what it says, word by word, are these extravagant promises that we've just been through here? They are. Yeah. I, I mean, the I'm God curious, I didn't know. ourselves is pretty much the granddaddy of all of them. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys? This is good. It's a, you know, this owl, I see this owl and the prime minister as just being full of fear. Just full of fear. And the fear is dominating their life. And they're making all these decisions based on fear, based on rumors. And, and the one he's attacking is not even interested in anything he has. How, how many times has my fear led me to take actions that were so misconstrued, just like this prime minister? And it's usually like a made-up fear that my alcoholic brain has, you know, created. It's not even like reality. But what I, I picked up on this, uh, on the seven deadly sins throughout this whole little story. Um, pride. Yep. Greed. Yep. Lust, envy, gluttony. All of those have to do with wanting more than what we have or wanting something we don't have. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like fear, fear of losing something, <laughs> not getting something we want. I am kind of thinking the uh, the metaphor that he's he's been using twice. First, it was the turtle. Now it's the phoenix. Is that an example for him being humble and he don't want to to go into an argument? So he's just saying this story about an animal that is behaving very differently and don't want anything of of these uh, materialistic goods that comes with being a prime minister. Is it a humble way of reacting to it that he's keep talking in, in, a, in a metaphor and, and are using birds and, and, and turtles to, to describe himself and, and the situation that they're talking about? Could be. Could be. Uh, I, I think, it, yeah. Um, oh, no, go ahead, Amy. I, I was going to say, or is it like what you were talking about, transforming the other person? Yes, does it have a stronger metaphor like Scott is talking about yeah. that, that has an, 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 a deeper meaning with, with the, him using the phoenix and the turtle? Possibly aggressively knocking him off his high horse and doing an ego check. Like, listen here, buddy. I don't want what you got because I'm a mm-hmm. phoenix. I can do what I want anyway. <laughs> well, I Relating it to recovery, I think um, one, one of the things I think about the minister is that he has no ability to imagine what it's like to be the Phoenix. And it's the same way when I came first came into AA um, and sat in my first meeting, I saw all these guys that said they were alcoholics, but they were laughing and they were having fun. And I was like, how can they be true alcoholics? Because I know what I felt like, and that was pretty bad. And my life was pretty miserable. How can they be that you know they really they they can't be telling the truth they really can't be sober for 25 or 30 years or 40 years that just can't happen and i had no imagination of what life would be like once you get into the program and trust the people that know the way and that's good good, scott thank you very well said thank you And you notice, too, the very last stanza, he speaks directly to the prime minister. 
he tells the story about uh, the the owl clutching the rat to himself in fear and dismay. Then he says to the prime minister, why are you so frantic clinging to your ministry and screeching at me in dismay? So he he flipped it to the prime minister and I don't want what you have. Why are you attacking me? Stay tuned for next week's verse. I don't even know what it is. I haven't looked, Marla. No, but it, it could be a follow up. The prime mm. minister answering, what are you so afraid of? Mm. What he's so afraid of. He's an ambitious characters, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. No, the dead, the dead uh, decayed rat is really the ministry. Because that's what he has. That's what he, he's so afraid of losing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he's saying, I don't know what you have. What you think you have is so precious. It's nothing that I want. I love when when I get someone else's perception and then it's like, wow. So I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. So one of the acronyms for fear, right? There's a lot of them. But one of them is false evidence appearing real. Back to the very beginning, it said he had what he believed to be inside information, false evidence appearing real because the because Chong Su never wanted what he had. Right. So again, base he's operating based on fear. Whole thing's fear. Fear is. And and it's drawn him to to do things not based on reality at all. That, that reminds me of the idea of fear being an illusion. Now, how about taking that a step further? And they, they talk in, in a lot of our teachings about hope and fear both being illusions, both fear and hope. And does anyone have any understanding of why hope would be an illusion? I have an idea. Didn't somebody say that hope is, is fear's octocousin? And here's the thing for, for me, when, when you talk about hope, you're talking about the future. You, you don't have it now. It's something that is in the future that you hope you're going to get or that you hope something is going to turn out a certain way. So, so that's why there's fear involved with it, because if it don't turn out that way, then, then you, you, it is. It's taking you out of the moment, of, right? right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes you out of the moment with hope. That's kind of what I'm thinking with it. I'm thinking, too, that's where I landed. I don't know if anyone has any other understanding on that. I'd, I'd love to hear it, but I'm thinking the, the problem with hope, and I was thinking, well, why would hope be bad? A long time I didn't understand, so I just kind of put it on the shelf, and then one day I realized, hey, that's taking us out of the moment. Maybe the problem is fear and hope are both. The, the goal is, if there's a goal, is to be, to be in the moment in more moments of the day to be present, right? And and hope puts me out into the future where, you know, just as fear can. And a lot of fears about past, you know, stuff too. So regret. So that's that's. Um, so are you saying that hope's kind of like fear projected? Yeah, you could look at it that way. You know. Um, but at the same time. Uh, Hope at the beginning of my sobriety journey served me very well because I I hoped that I could get to just like fear my shift. And and we had this topic last Sunday night, just like my fear shifted from fear of 
resuming my drinking and the consequences that went with it to loving my life right now and where I am now. And that's where I stay. I stay like, oh my gosh, why would I want to give this up instead of I'm so afraid of what will happen if I drink again, right? So at the beginning, I hoped that I could get what you nice, shiny people that were laughing and enjoying life. I hoped I could get there one day. Just like the promises were absolutely extravagant when I got here. I was like, no freaking way is that going to happen for me. But now they aren't. My perception is has shifted because maybe they aren't so extravagant now because I've seen some of them come to fruition in my life. Now my hope has shifted from I hope I can have what you have to I hope someone else can look at me and want what I've got and enough to do the deal. Maybe, Amy, maybe it's in what our motivation is. Is our motivation still fear or is our motivation moved up? And maybe we're getting closer to a love motivation. Yes. And then, you know, your hope is different, though, when it's in fear than when it's in love, though, you know, because hope is if I have a hope, that's a fear-based kind of thing. It's for me, it's, it's a lack of acceptance because I'm not, I wanting, I'm wanting things to be different than they are. So I think that's a different use of the word hope than what, you know, than what I would, than the hope and fear are both illusions business. You know, the question but, that comes to my mind is why then are we asked to share our experience, strength and hope? with other alcoholics and and i think that that both the word fear and the word hope can be taken in different ways for example if i'm if if a tiger jumps out at me fear is a completely natural and appropriate reaction but if i project into the future that a a tiger is going to attack me i'm afraid when there's no tiger attacking me then i'm projecting into the future and i think the same way with hope that I remember my first few meetings leaving feeling different and feeling like, okay, there is a solution to this problem. But I think another way you can think of hope is trust that um, the opposite of fear is trusting. And um, the question is trusting in what, and ultimately that becomes our higher power but at the very beginning, it, it was for me, it was just looking at the other alcoholics and seeing what they have and, and wanting what they had and realizing that it wasn't extravagant for me to achieve at least that basic sobriety at that time. And the idea, because I remember trying and trying and trying to stop drinking myself and failing over and over and over again to the point where I had despaired and given up any hope of a recovery that I didn't think it was possible. But when I got into AA and the, and I saw the examples and I could um, see for myself that it was possible to stay sober one day at a time, then my whole attitude changed. And uh, that was a big gift for me. I had the same experience, Scott. I, I, that's the one thing I got from my first meeting was hope because I saw other people who had recovered and I was a lot smarter than them. So if they could figure it out, I knew I could. 
it, it has kind of turned around for me with with hope and, and actually to to touch on what Scott is saying with the experience, strength, and hope that we're sharing. I, I have come to to the conclusion that I'm only sharing my experience. The strength and hope is for the uh, for the observer. It's it's not up to me to say that what I am sharing or that brings you strength and it brings you hope because then I'm putting myself on that ego pedestal again. That's a good, that's so a good I'm good. really only sharing my experience and I can hope that it brings strength to others. Yeah. But but and, and that's kind of where I'm trying to go into right now. I'm only using hope in, in towards others, newcomers, where you say, hey, I hope they're going to get it because I can see they're going. They're, they keep stumbling like I did, but I hope they start. And then I can leave it at that. Now, now, if I go, I'm not going to go to a meeting and correct someone who says something a particular way. I mm. mean, because we all evolve through what we learn and we don't, you know, I don't, mm. I don't do that kind of thing, you know. No, yeah, me neither. Uh, because our higher power evolves and all those things just evolve with time. You know, and our ideas, and we have to be open to those things because it just continues to happen. Yes. Well, I have to admit, I came. I just came from a noon meeting today, and uh, and there's somebody. I don't know how long he had, but he was. You know, when they they feel like they need to chime in in a good way and say amen and and all those little small little con. It, it rocked me the, the wrong way a little bit, and I was like, wow, this. I just have to sit with this, but this is exactly where this guy needs to be right now. <laughs> and, it, and it came out because I don't know if you have seen this in a lot of meetings when somebody comes in and meetings say, hey, I just went before I went to a meeting. I went and I, I bought some drinks at the liquor store. And then everybody needs to chime in with their experience, strength and hope to uh, to to help the other one. And uh, and some cross talks is, is easily made there. And uh, and, and cross talk. In a, in a bigger meeting, it kind of rubs me the wrong way because that's the, then we're trying to enforce something, and uh, and it's funny <laughs> that I can sit on observer and say, "Yeah, you, you're not going to chime in on this," but it was still a good meeting. And you stay for the meeting instead of leaving. Yeah, I stayed through the whole thing, and then I didn't have anything to share. I was just this is still good, so I just I love to be here. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was it when somebody said, "Hey, you have something?" Yeah, I love to be here. That's it. <laughs> This has been good, guys. Mm. Any other comments? Mm. So what should we title this? I was thinking deception, but now I'm thinking more fear. The illusion. Fear is an illusion. Okay. Thank you. I don't know. Yeah, that'll work. Fear is an illusion. Yes. Yeah, the illusion of fear. The illusion of fear. Okay, that's what we'll go with. My mind is blown again by this experience, strength, and hope phrase. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. Wow. Yeah. It just so happens that I'm also reading the um the book Experience, Strength, and Hope, which is all the stories that were taken out of the first three editions of the big book. And so um yeah, synchronicity, there it is. We're talking about the name of the book I'm reading, and y'all had no idea I was reading that book. So yeah, synchronicity. I've tried this thing. Have Have you guys heard about? I don't know if I talked about this last time. Um, I might have talked about it last time because it was about a week ago I started it. Have you guys heard about the the great experience in the big book? Um, so, if you read on page eighty six before you go to sleep. Uh, when we retire at night, there's a paragraph, mm-hmm. uh, the first paragraph on 86, 
you read that at night, and then you put one cross or one half cross on the on in the end of the the, the pages. And in the morning, you you read on awakening, and that's like a, a page and a half. And then you put another line in, so you have a cross. And if you do that for 30 days, and apparently it's pretty hard to get to 30 days, it's a lot in that uh, on awakening um, in the morning. If you do that, uh, you you will you will see a spiritual growth. And then it's called the great experience. And I'm just seven days in trying to do this. And and, uh, and I kind of see myself thinking more of others. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> but it's it's interesting that I can see that after seven days, that there's a change in just feeding my mind with these uh, these things over and over again. Thank you, Dennis. Mm. Um, I might try that. Thank you. Oh, I had a, syn- a synchronicity thing happen, Amy, that you're going to like. Uh, I was up at uh, oh, the first meditation retreat, the first silent retreat. And the guy there gave me a book to read, pulled a book off a shelf and said, here, I want you to read this. And it was of somebody I didn't really care for. And I've never read any of his books. And the guy's got 20, 30 books. And I said, OK, I'll do it. And I took it home and I started it. And I was on like page six or seven. And really wasn't wanting to read it, but I told him I would. So I was going to read a couple of pages a day till I got through it kind of thing, you know? And then uh, I was talking to another guy in recovery. We were working on something. He said, you know, he says, there's a book that I want you to read that, that really helped me with stuff. So what was it? He said, it's Deepak Chopra's book on how to know God. And I went over and pulled the book that the guy from the Buddhist place had insisted that I read. And it's the same book. <laughs> And I said, oh, here it is. I have it. I never would buy any of his books because I kind of had this little thing against this guy because I thought he was like very commercialized and all those things. So I never would have read one of his books. And the book the guy wanted me to read was this book. So I said, yeah, I already have it. I'll read that. Thank you. So Katone prior to investigation, but then your did you get something out of it when you did you read it i'm starting to read it after that okay. this was just a few days ago so it's oh. in spite of myself <laughs> taking contrary action i was going to ask how long you've been sitting on that book yeah how oh long well, ago was it a, a month you know a month oh that's a lot yeah, well, yeah. I so, but it was interesting the only book he that's wanted great. me to read was, was that the book one? that this guy had given me to read so so, so his experience could give you strength and hope. hope. Yes. I'd never heard that before, Dennis. That was good. Did, did you start on the, on the Russell Brand book, by the way? I know the great can't wait to get started on that. I'm reading that with Zach B. right now, the I, Russell I, Brand book. And then I've listened to it a couple of times. Uh, I got caught out of it, actually. It's not happening. It's not happening. I, I actually rather want to read him than I want to. Then I want to uh, listen to him because he's too fast for me. I like me. his comedy and I like listening to him. So I didn't, yeah, mind, yeah. I didn't mind listening to the book, but I just I, expected it to be commercialized. I didn't expect it to be a lot of real sobriety. And he's he's pretty insightful. I was surprised. Yeah, he is. It took me a while for me to get over that fast talk and that, but uh, he also has a lot of the Kundalini meditation online. What's his name? Russell Brand. B-R-A-N-D. Yes. Hmm. 
recovery freedom from addiction was the uh was the one that we're reading i suggest maybe if you're an audible person chris maybe listen to it first and see if it's yeah. something that i do much better doing that and then if i really like it then i'll buy right. the book. i was just listening to a podcast um that ezra klein did of an interview of this guy and it's about anxiety I've only gotten halfway through it, but it's been really interesting. Um, he makes a point about ha breaking a habit, and he's talking about eating too much pizza. And he says he can't intellectually tell himself to quit eating too much pizza. Um, like if he goes out with friends, he'll, he'll eat six or seven pieces of pizza, uh, but he can't intellectually quit it. He has to actually get in a mode where he brings up the feeling that he gets having eaten too much pizza stuff like that that's it's really interesting i thought i thought it would be a uh yeah i'm anxious to listen to the rest of it some point soon because it's all about anxiety so which is fear yeah exactly yeah it's this thing where we talk about to get rid of alcohol, but then here we are with overdoing sugar and so forth. And it's sort of a thing we have to be able to figure out how to apply the same principles in all our affairs. So, <laughs> but he gives some great insight into it, uh, what's actually going on with the addiction process with regard to anxiety and so forth. So, you know, and I, and I use some of that, uh, some of those techniques because not all of my addictions are as severe as alcohol was. You know, right. alcohol, I had to go to extremes, but there's other things I don't have to go to extremes like with sugar, for example. So far, I haven't had to go to uh, OA mm -hmm. for my sugar addiction. You know, now mm -hmm. if it were to get bad enough, I would. I'm trying to do some of these lesser things. Like, what, like with alcohol, you know, you try the other things to see if they work first before you come to right. come to AA. Yeah, so. I'm still baffled over that. I don't have the same thing with food as I do with sugar. I would think that it would be the same kind of ball game when I when I dive into a sugar pit where I have to eat a certain mm -hmm. amount of sugar every day. That I don't do the same with food, where I, I yeah. can actually sugar is a totally yet. different thing. <laughs> yet, yet, oh, that yes, <laughs> that's good, Amy. Because then I wonder, buddy, if it's the because <laughs> we uh, we let God discipline us now. I wonder if it's because now we have working the program of recovery, living the steps and the principles and traditions, is it that we're aware of our tendency to overindulge in, in things and we know like, okay, how do I do this? I remember the first time I just started meditating like a, a few months before and I was standing from the refrigerator and I said, man, I, I want something to eat. I said, wait a minute, just because I'm having a thought doesn't mean I have to do this. And I got that from meditating. I said, wait a minute. I can just ignore that thought like I ignore thoughts when I'm on the cushion. I was like, wow, I never realized that. Mm -hmm. I thought you know, if, if I wanted something, I had to go eat, but I don't have to. That's crazy. These little yeah, things you learn. Yeah. Sometimes you just eat because you're bored. You're not hungry. You're just bored. Yeah. What I'm trying yeah. to do, Craig, is take and meditate for five minutes before I eat. I say, do I really need to eat? Why do I need to eat and sit with that desire to eat for just a minute? I don't have to make a big deal out of it. You know, I don't have to go get on the cushion, spend 30 minutes and then, you know, just, 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 you know, just a little bit. 
just enough to get mindful about it and re- and said, okay, well, it's been a few hours and I'm really hungry. So yes, I need to eat. I really appreciate this talk here about food because lately I think I've come to that point where, where, where I'm suffering enough to want to quit the sugar because yesterday, I mean, my, I'm, I'm changing brand just like liquor and beer and, and whatever we try to do in that different point. Cookies. Mine, different yeah, so I had the, uh, they had, they had some, I even told myself, was that Wednesday? That was yesterday. Yes. When I said, okay, I'm not, I'm just going to go to big lots. I need some coffee and I need some trash bags. And then let me just cross in the, the candy aisle and see, and they had my, uh, what are they called? Tootsie, Tootsie roll, uh, lollipop, Tootsie pops is what they call oh, yes. flavor. And I bought them. I think it was Tuesday I bought them. And yesterday I had like three quarters of the whole bag of the things before I went to sleep. And I could, and, and I was restless because of all mm-hmm. the sugar when I'm, when I'm going to sleep. Right. So it was horrible. <laughs> But you could use those to learn patience and not crunch them, then you know. Well, I have patience to get all the almost down to the to the caramel pot, and then I just start crunching them. What's the owl used to say on the commercial? How many licks does it take to get to the center of the tootsie pop? Yeah, I get to like three. How in the hell do you like sit there and suck on the damn thing until it sounded how? But look, check it out. There's some sugar-free candies that are really good. These are cinnamon. Dollar Tree has spearmint ones and butterscotch ones. And I keep, I keep, this helps actually, because it, you can't really tell the difference. So your body and your brain, my brain thinks I'm getting the sugar. It's oh. sugar free, right? Now, I don't know about like chocolates and stuff, but surely they've got like some diabetic candies and stuff to yeah, just but- kind of wean yourself off. Yeah, for me, I just do better not with any of it because I'll eat the whole bag of those. Oh, you see that? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like, I would have the same reaction to that as I would with non-alcoholic stuff because yeah, I, would be, exactly. I, would be, I would be waiting for that hit. I'd be waiting for that rush. That's that's why I can't take any any non alcoholic like non alcoholic beverages, so like sparkling sparkling grape juice or anything like that. Because um, somebody got me some for my fortieth birthday, and I, I had the tiniest sip, and even just opening the bottle, it sounded like a bottle of wine, and it smelt like a bottle of wine, and uh, it just mm-hmm. I took a tiniest sip, and Louise is like, just just put it down, get out, phone buddy, just take your shoes, go on, on you go. Really? Because I was, yeah, because I was just. She saw the reaction it because I, really? I was, I was, I just had that look in my eyes. It just uh, started going green. It was like Hulk. I just started going green and. <laughs> but I was just. It's just because I was waiting on that hit. I was waiting on that. You know, you know how you we take that first drink, you get that bang. I was just waiting, so I would kind of get the same with diet or, or, or sugar-free candy. It's it's kind of like a paradox that's. That's not for me. I would I would kind of struggle mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you all. Great conversation. If there's nothing else, we'll see you next week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.